0: So we're here at the end of the year, two Sundays left in this, uh, in this year, but we're also at the end of our journey through the book of Romans. Um, this is something that we started in March. Uh, this would be probably our 20th message here in the book of Romans, and um, we've been on an incredible journey. It's been amazing to see how Paul unpacks the gospel for us in the book of Romans. Come on, how many of you have just loved this journey, just being able to go through it chapter by chapter um, over the whole year, um, and what we see is how Paul reveals the heart of God's grace to us. He's like, basically, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot truly know God, you cannot truly serve Him unless you have come to understand what the grace of God is really all about. J.I. Packer says that there is no greater need in all of Christendom than a renewed understanding of what the grace of God really is. There's so much misunderstanding about it, but the grace of God is Jesus himself. He, he came to us filled with grace and truth, and he became to us grace upon grace. It is Jesus. It's God's gift to us. It's God's presence in our lives. God wouldn't be in our lives if it wasn't for his grace. And so that's a concept that is difficult for us as human beings that are so consequential and sequential. We think if we do this, this must be the result. And so when we, when we do things that are wrong and they require judgment, it's hard for us to understand how somebody else could take that price for us and how we could be set free from that punishment. And so oftentimes we end up as Christians trying to punish ourselves or trying to save ourselves so that we can stand in God's presence with a clear conscience. But the message of the gospel is you don't need to do that. And this is what Paul has been unpacking for us right throughout the book of Romans is that you don't need to save yourself. You don't need to help yourself. You need to fix your eyes on the one who has already done everything to save you and to help you and to redeem you. And that's why our message is all about Jesus. That's why our church is all about Jesus. That's why the Bible is all about Jesus. And it'll always only be about Jesus and what he has done for us. We're not getting into a self-help structure here. We're, we're, we're looking to a savior because we understand that we cannot save ourselves. And so this is the great message that Paul goes, okay, guys, I know that you're struggling with this, so I am going to, I'm gonna take you through this point by point by point by point. And that's what Paul does. He sits down and he goes, let's go through this and let me show you how the gospel unfolds and how it Uh, it unveils itself and how it saves us. And God did this and he he expresses this because of his great love for us. Because of the deep love that God has for us, he moved heaven and earth to rescue us. And the worst thing that we can do, and, and I've got to reiterate this because Paul reiterates it again and again and again, the worst thing that we can do is to think that we now need to earn God's love. Paul says, in the same way that you received Jesus, so walk in him. You received him by grace. You received him not by works. He even says, how did the Holy Spirit, in Galatians, he says, begin working in your life? Was it because of your works or was it because of grace? You see, some Christians, especially Pentecostals and Charismatics, they think that, that, that what you need to do in order to get a move of the Holy Spirit is certain sacrifices that basically earns a move of God, that if we have done enough things right, God will go, right, now you're approved, let me move. And Paul just takes this head on and he says, when the Spirit first moved amongst you, was it because of your works or was it because of His grace? He says, so why, if you have begun in the Spirit, do you think you'll be made perfect through your flesh? And so the worst thing that we can do, having experienced and heard about the grace of God, is to think that, that we can need to earn God's love or earn a move of the Holy Spirit. It's so liberating for us here at the end of Romans to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is for us, that God is with us, that God loves us. It's liberating. It's amazing what happens to the human soul how it flourishes when it knows that it's loved and we struggle to receive that love we struggle to receive that love we still don't deep down don't feel worthy enough or good enough or strong enough to be accepted by god and so the gospel is this constant repetition this constant news that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are forgiven, that God is for you. And we hear that all the way through this letter um, that that, that Paul has written and that he wants us to know. He wants our spirits to come alive in the knowledge of God's love. So so what has Paul shown us so far in Romans? As we come to Romans 16, we're going to finish Romans today, but so far he has shown us, number one, that all of us have fallen short, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that there is not a single person who can claim to be good enough to be accepted by God or to get entrance into heaven or to receive anything from the hand of God. All of us are in the same boat in that we're born into sin, that we know in our hearts that there is a God and that we are to honor Him and that we are to obey Him, but we do not find the strength or the ability or the will within us to do what we know is right. And therefore, we are all guilty before God But then God, because of his great love, the Bible says that by one man, sin entered into all of the world, and by one man, Jesus, he brought one sacrifice to redeem us all. And so God sends his son to die for us on the cross so that the unrighteous can be made righteous, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this He expresses to us and, and shows us that the, the righteousness, this righteousness that we can have, this right standing relationship with God, is, could never be by your rule keeping or your, your obedience to any kind of a law or any kind of a system or any kind of a religion. It's purely by faith. So Jesus came to make us righteous and we become righteous the moment we put our faith in Him and what He has done. And then He goes on and shows us that this kind of righteousness, being right with God, even in the Old Testament, even with David and even with Abraham and even with Moses and even with all the patriarchs of the faith, it was always because of faith. It was never because of the law that anybody was ever right with God. And so he shows us this and and he shows us that it's because of the grace and the mercy of God that we've been made right with him. And then he says, and and we get to Romans 12, where he says, so this is how that's going to change your life. When you recognize that you are saved, not because you're a good person, not because you've done enough good things, not because you obey the law to a certain extent, but when you recognize that because of God's grace, you're accepted and redeemed and made righteous, the way you live actually changes. The way you conduct yourself changes. The way you look at others, the way you love others, the way you serve others, the way you serve God, the way you give, everything about your life changes. And so from Romans 12, we started looking at the marks of a changed life or, or the marks of a life changed by grace? What will be the effect of Jesus' presence in your life? And we looked at that. We looked at how the scripture so much in those final chapters between Romans 12 and Romans 16 just spoke about how we relate to one another. In other words, a sure sign that you have a revelation of God's grace is that you will start loving the people around you more than what you love yourself. You'll start forgetting yourself. True humility will enter your heart. You won't take yourself so seriously and want to be the center of attention all of the time, but instead you will truly begin to see those around you and love them and serve them and give to them and do whatever it is that God lays on your heart to do for those around you. And that is part of this beautiful community that we get to be a part of, is that we are no longer here for ourselves. Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't love people because you actually love yourself, but love them because you're loving them. That's what happens and that's what Paul shows us. And so that's the journey in a nutshell that we've been in over the last couple of of months. And then when people get to Romans 16, it, it just sounds like Paul's saying goodbye. And it just sounds like a very long goodbye. So we kind of read it and we skip over it. We, we, we look at it and we think to ourselves, okay, well, um, you know, he's, he's saying goodbye. And so we, we turn over to First Corinthians um, and we start reading his greeting on that side. Um, but if you've ever done that, if you've ever skipped Romans 16, you may have missed out on some beautiful things here in this chapter. And, I'm so glad that we get to finish here in Romans 16 today. Um, and, and, and there are a few things that I want to highlight, a few things that I believe is going to encourage and inspire you. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, or if you uh, re- have a Bible app on your phones or on your iPads or whatever you use here at church, I want to encourage you, get a Bible, buy a Bible, download an app, make sure that you're, you're reading, make sure that you're, you're allowing the stuff to really permeate your heart. Don't just come on a Sunday. Don't let a bit of a Sunday be the only time that you take the Word of God into your own spirit. Um, it will sharpen you. It will encourage you. It will change your life. So, um, so open up at Romans 16, verse 1, and I'm going to read here um, just the, these uh, commendations and greetings and, and everything that, that Paul says to these people in these verses. And I just to, I'm just going to read all of it. So we're going to read verses 1 to 16, And I want you just to pick up the heart and the spirit in it. And and I'm going to just throw out a disclaimer here that these are are very Greek names. And um, at points, I would just replace the name with that guy. So um, let's read it together. He says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. There's a way to welcome each other that's worthy of what has happened in our hearts, that's worthy of us as saints, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, this is this great couple we read about in scripture, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house, Greet my beloved, that guy, who was the first (laughs) to convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Sacchus, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of that family. All right, Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. Those, that couple there, great couple. Um, <laughs> greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet that guy and that guy. And Hermes, and Petrobus, and Hermas, and brothers who are with them. And just greet those other people as well, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, and greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you. Now, if I was Greek, I would have rocked that chapter, right? But I'm not. I'm a South African boy, Afrikaans slash English, and... um, uh, yeah, anyway, so there's this amazing passage, and there's some stuff in here, because of the names and because of the, the, all the greetings, and we, that we just skip over. But I'm going to highlight some things out of this that, that is just amazing. And when you read it, and you read it again, and you read it again and you read it again, you, you pick up a spirit of the church and of community and of the relationship and of the mission. Um, that these guys had that I wanna highlight for us this morning as we go on in our own mission, as we take this gospel forward, as we continue doing what God has called us to do, um, we take great courage from the fact that we're only one part in a very long story. How many of you know that? that That this is our turn to run, that there have been so many that have come before us and that we get to honor what they have done by, by, by by living full out, by running with all of our might, running as those who are running for a crown, we get to honor what they have done and we get to set up a legacy for those that come after us. But this is our turn to run. This is our opportunity to take the gospel forward and uh, and there's so much that we can learn from this. So um, let's just go ahead and, and pray together today. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the story of redemption, Lord God, that you have weaved through the ages. Lord, for centuries and centuries and centuries, you have uh, come to this world and and, and shown through your church just who you are and and what you have done for us, God. We thank you for the the unchanging, everlasting, eternal gospel of God's grace and that we get to be uh, uh, touched by it, changed by it and that we get to take it forward into our city today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I wanna share a message with you out of uh, this, this passage of scripture called, take some risks, take some risks. And I wanna start off by asking you the question, have you ever taken a risk? I mean, a proper big risk where you were putting it all out on the line and you kind of closed your eyes and you just took that, that leap of faith. You believed in, in something enough in your heart to just take that jump. Has, has anybody ever taken a risk like that? You know, the thing about risk is that it's not settled beforehand. If it was, then it wouldn't be a risk. It's a risk because it could go either way, but you've got to do it by faith. You've got to do it through trust. You've got to be willing to take the leap and to take that jump. And honestly, I think that our world, especially the church, has too few risk-takers. We, we, we need more people that are willing to just trust God and to step out and to do whatever He calls us to do. And when we started Anchor Church two and a half years ago, we had no guarantees. At that point, I think I, and I'm, I'm not even kidding you, I literally had a thousand rand in my bank account, um, and I had three, <laughs> three small kids. Um, and we, we didn't know if, if, if this was gonna work out, but we trusted in God. We knew what God had spoken to our hearts. We knew what we felt that we were called to do, but we had no guarantee. There was no safety net for us. We weren't a part of a larger organization that said, don't worry, we'll cover your salary or we'll cover your bills or we'll make sure that you make it. We had, we had none of that. We, all we had were a couple of friends and this belief that God had called us to do something. And, and I remember that when we, when we started the church, we basically spoke about that if we are deciding that we're gonna take this risk, the worst thing that we could do is hesitate along the way. The worst thing that we could do is not be convinced in our own minds that this is what God had, had called us to do. And it reminded me of a time when I went on holiday to a little town called Kids Beach, and Kids Beach is this beautiful area um, about 20 kilometers north of East London and or south of East London. And it has uh, just amazing, just wilderness, uh, beautiful beaches, but it's very, very, there's no lifeguards, there's no, it's just out in the middle of nowhere and it's incredibly wild and beautiful. And uh, we were there as a couple of friends and they had heard about a place where you could climb up to a, onto a cliff and jump down into a river. And so we parked our cars as close as we could drive to that point and hiked for about an hour to get to this high cliff that we could climb up. And the only way that you could actually get up this cliff was to jump into the water, then swim to the face of the cliff and start climbing up the side, holding onto trees and things as you go up to this really steep uh, cliff on this, by the side of this river. And, and we did that, and I think the climb was a little bit more treacherous than the jump itself. Um, but eventually we got to the top, and I remember specifically that there was kind of the normal platform where you could just stand at the edge and jump off. And then there was a higher one um, that, that was kind of a little bit more scary because you had to jump from that point point. you had to jump over some rocks uh, to get to where the water was. And when I was up there, I was like, look, man, if I decided that I'm going to jump, I'm now not going to take the safe option. I already risked my life climbing up here. So I'm going to go as high as I can go. That's it. It's my one jump. I'm getting up here and then I'm jumping with all my might. And and I remember the guys that had been there before being like, whoa, 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 don't you wanna just try this one first? And I was like, no, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And when we started Anchor Church, I remember that story coming to my mind saying that if we're saying we're gonna do this, then we're not looking back. We're not gonna climb back down the same way we came. We're not gonna do anything else. We came here to jump. We're gonna climb up to the top. We're gonna go to the highest point we can and we're just gonna jump. And we're just gonna trust that the water's deep enough down there and that we're not gonna die along the way. And that's the, the thing about risk is that sometimes you just have to do it. You can make your calculations and you can try and work out the perfect environment and wait for the elements to be just right. Or you can just trust God and do what He has called you to do and take some risk. So that's what we did when we started Anchor Church. We, we said, Jesus, we, we don't have it all figured out. We're just a group of people. We're imperfect, we're flawed, and we still are, by the way, This is not a perfect church. We hope to be a healthy church, but we'll never be a perfect church. We're flawed, we're imperfect, but we wanna make something of our lives. We wanna be a part of something that you've called us. We don't wanna just waste away our days just being being safe and, and, and being comfortable. We wanna step out and do something that makes a difference and that brings a change. And that's what we did two and a half years ago. 16 people got together in my living room and said, let's do this, let's jump. Let's get out there, let's make something happen and we're not gonna hold back. And so I think the church has too few risk takers. If we have a God that is as faithful as the God that we serve, we have read everything about God's faithfulness, and last week we looked at this, we looked at how it is impossible for God to lie in these two things, in who He is. Jesus came to show us the truthfulness of God, that He truly is who He said He is, and that His oath, His promise is sure. God can't lie about those things. He can't lie about who He is and He can't break His promise because that would be incongruent with who He is. So we know who God is and we know that His promises are sure. We know how true His grace is. So why aren't we taking more risks? Why aren't we making bolder leaps? Why aren't we stepping out in faith more often? Why are we waiting for the conditions to be just right? What would our lives look like and what would you do if you really believed in who God was and in the fact that He was with you? What would you do differently with your life? I remember somebody asking me the question, if money wasn't an issue, in other words, you didn't have to make sure that you just got enough rands and cents in at the end of the month to look after your family or to to pay your bills or to whatever. If money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing with your life? If somebody said, here's a $100 you're set up for life, you never have to work for another day in your life, what would you be doing? And in that same vein, I want to ask you the question, if you really know that God is faithful, that He cannot lie, that His promises are sure, that He is true, that He is faithful even when we mess up, what would you do differently if you really believed that with your own life? What steps would you take? What things would you do? How, how Differently would you pursue your dreams that are in your heart? Now, I know that there are some people that, that are a little bit too comfortable with risk, okay? And we've, we've taken some big risks, but you, know, you still don't want to be stupid, okay? You don't want to be silly and just take risks for the sake of risks. You want to be led by God and, and you want to make sure. So I'm, I'm going to just clarify everything that I'm saying before some of you are like, I'm selling everything and moving to India. You know, like just be, before you do that, you you gotta be led by God, right? And and there are risks that are are worth it and there are risks that aren't. And um, I remember hearing the story of a guy called Larry Walters, um, who back in, I think it was in the 90s, um, he decided that his dream, his bucket list was to fly. But he wasn't a pilot and so he couldn't fly. And so what Larry Walters did, um, I think it was over a Thanksgiving weekend or whatever, is that he took a garden chair And he tied to the garden chair, and there's a video of this on YouTube, you can go check it out, I'm not lying. He tied to the garden chair 46 weather balloons, 46 of those massive weather balloons, filled with helium. And so his garden chair obviously took off. He had them in in two pockets of balloons above each other. And so his garden chair took off, and um, he was still trying to get ready. He's just sitting on a garden chair. Uh, Nothing else. He had a BB gun with him so that when he wants to come back down again, he can shoot out some of those balloons and lower down. (laughs) It's actually happened. And then before he knew it, the line that was holding him down, while he was still deciding what he wanted to do, um, the line that was holding him down couldn't hold the pressure of these 46 balloons pulling upward and it snapped. And there he was and he was off. And the first thing that happened is um, he had a CB radio with him. I mean, he did think this through a little bit, uh, but his glasses fell off. And so his wife was like, you, you're not gonna be able to see. You can actually listen to the transmission. And she's just like, come down. Everybody wants you to come down. Just come down. She's like, this is the last time. Like, can you think about how that conversation went? Like husband and wife before that, she's like, babe, I'm gonna fly. <laughs> she's like, you're not a pilot. You can't fly. No, I've got a plan. Bring me the garden chair. I got some millions. <laughs> I mean, this is... This is what what was happening in this conversation. And then she's like, man, I wanna be a supportive wife. Okay, okay, I trust you, you can do it. And then the next thing, the thing snaps and he's just disappearing into the end. He's like, she's like, I made a mistake, come back, come back. I should never have allowed you to do this. Please come down. And he's like, babe, I'm fine, I'm fine. I have extra glasses. He actually had extra glasses with him. Um, He ended up though, going a little bit higher than what he had originally anticipated. And, um, and Larry Walters soared to 16,000 feet on a garden chair and accidentally invaded LA's airspace <laughs> and, and, had, and was reported to the authorities by two um, passenger airlines that saw him on their way as they were flying into LA and reported him, all right? And so he did get a little bit scared at one point and, uh, and then shot out some balloons and came back down over Long Beach. He went from northern Hollywood all the way down to Long Beach. Uh, he floated with the wind, and, uh, and eventually he was arrested upon landing back on the ground um, for eva- invading the national airspace. And so my point is is that there are some risks that you shouldn't be taking, okay? There are some things that's just too much, and that although he, he had that bucket list thing and, and um, he did it, some things you just shouldn't do, um, like soaring 16,000 feet with a weather balloon and a garden chair. So so there are some of those things that we that we know, but, but God has called us to live a big life. And even though it was really silly what Larry Walters did, I applaud somebody that's like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get some balloons. I'm gonna tie it to this chair, and I'm gonna do what I feel in my heart to do. I love the spirit of it, right? For some of us, when we think about risk it you know will break out into a little bit of a cold sweat but i want to tell you that god has not called you to play it safe god has not called us to hedge our bets god has not called us to do small things and to do things that that are just comfortable to do he's called us to be a part of a bigger story and in the bible when you read the stories in the bible you'll see that they always involve great risk great doubt great faith, and great victory. And it's God who gives the victory. In every one of those situations, you had people that were incapable of doing the things that they did, that weren't qualified to step out and to do that. But because of their trust in God, they were able to be a part of this great adventure that God has called us to. And this is what happens when you have a community that is switched on by the gospel a community that really comes to believe in what God has called them to do. They become willing to take some risks. And I'm believing for that for our church, that we would always be a risk-taking church. Not not a Larry Walters flying with weather balloons kind of church, but but a risk-taking church because we have a revelation of the grace of God. I pray that we would be the kind of church that would see and believe bigger Than what we've ever believed before for our own lives. And that together we can stand with this dream, with this vision, with this heart of what would be possible if we just for a moment forgot ourselves and looked square into the face of God's grace and said, Yes, Jesus, let's do this. Let's step out. Let's make something happen. This is like what Paul says when he says, I know the one in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I know in who I believe. I know who I believe in. I know who this God is, and I'm completely persuaded of his goodness, persuaded of a God who is true and faithful and whose promises are sure. So I love this verse. Out of those verses that we read, Romans 16, verse three, says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. Greet this great couple who were willing to risk their own lives, their necks, for my life. I love that this passage talks about risk and talks about people who were willing to risk it all, risk their own lives. And when I read this, I was challenged with a question, when last did I risk my neck for what God called me to do? When last did you risk your life in answering the call of God? When last did you risk your neck for people to know the gospel or to show someone some love or to do something that would make a difference? We can do that. We get to do that. Whatever happens, we win. So we can take those risks. We can, we can do something. We can be like Abraham who was willing to sacrifice Isaac, because he knew that even if he plunged that dagger into his son's heart, God's promise wouldn't be taken away, and God, it says in the book of Hebrews, he believed that God would be able to raise his son from the dead. So he was able to take that risk. Like the community in Acts, you read about the church when they, they believed so much in, in the faithfulness of God, and they trusted in him so much, that they literally went and sold everything that they had, and brought those things to the apostles and said, just share this out with whoever is in need. And nobody told them to do that. That was simply them going, I believe so much in how faithful God is that I know I don't need a nest egg and I don't need to, to save up and I don't need to make sure that I'm comfortable or, or I'm, I'm keeping some back. I can risk it all. I can sell it all and give it all away because I really believe in the, the faithfulness of God. I really believe that God will take care of me so I can just give and I can just be faithful. This very church in Rome that Paul is writing this letter to, scholars believe that it was started by a group of people that were present at the stoning of Stephen. When the first martyr was stoned to death for his faith in Christ, and they caused a scattering of a church and the persecution of the church, and there was a group of people who said, they are killing the Christians, they are killing the believers. So let's go to the capital city of the world at that time and start a church, I mean, we started a church here in Joburg. It was hard enough. It's hard enough, and, and people kind of look at you funny when you say you'd like to rent a venue for a church. They're like, oh, not another church, please. We don't. And we're like, persecution? <laughs> These guys are like, if we start this church, we will most likely die. Let's start one. Let's start one. That's what they did. Why? Because they believed in the God who is faithful. That's what happens when you know God and you know His love. The Bible says it drives out all fear. In 1 John four eighteen, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It drives out fear. When you know that God is with you and you know His love, it drives out the fear in your heart. Listen to this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 12. I'm taking this for 2018. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 says, therefore, since we have such a hope, such a God, such a Jesus, such a Savior, we are very bold. See, that's the heart of what I'm saying this morning, is when you know the gospel, when you know the hope that you have, when you know the God that you serve, when you've come to believe in His love, when you are truly persuaded, you'll just be very, very bold. The Bible says the righteous are bold as lions. Bold as lions. That's the kind of church that I hope that we can be. So I love this passage at the beginning of Romans 16. I love how Paul commends all these people and greets all of them. More than anything, it's the spirit of it. It's the spirit of this communication, the passion and the community and the risk of it all. You can see that this is not just Paul giving lip service and kind of you know, uh, adhering to some protocols, but this is a picture of a church community that is on mission together. These people are working together, they're fighting together, they're in the trenches together, they're standing together, they're being persecuted and suffering together, and they're celebrating and taking ground together. We're in this fight together, and there's a great city out here that needs saving, that needs people that will come together, that will forget themselves, and that will be a part of something bigger. And so in the time that we have left this morning, I want to just highlight a few things from this passage that you may have missed as we were going through the the really Greek names. Um, And I trust that this is just going to inspire you. And we've been looking at the marks of a a life changed by grace. This will be the marks of a community changed by grace. So there's a few things that I noticed when I read this. And the first thing that I noticed was the names, not how difficult they were to read. What I noticed was how many names there were. 27 names in 16 verses. 27 names. Paul's writing the most important letter in all of history, and he takes time to, by name, mention 27 people. He could have just been like, hey, thanks, church, or thanks, guys. Awesome, see you when I get there. But instead, he mentions each one specifically by name. And that's because names matter. That's because your name matters. Your calling matters. Your specific anointing matters. Your gifting matters. Not only to Paul, but to God. Do you know today that your name matters to God? That your life and your calling and your journey matters to God? God knows your name. He sees what you have done and what you do, and it is precious to Him. It's so great to remember that. In Isaiah 40 verse 26 It says, look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army one after another. He calls them all by name. God knows every single star by name. He calls them all by name. In John 3, it says, to him the gatekeeper opens to Jesus. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own and leads them out by name. In other words, when Jesus calls you, He doesn't call you like this. Hey, guys, come. He goes, hey, Theo, come. Hey, Julian, come. Hey, Ellen, come. Each of us, by name, He calls us out. That's how He calls us. So God knows your name. He knows your story. He knows what He has for you. And He has an individual calling for each of us that is sacred and and, and valuable. It's like a divine shout that God shouted out before the foundations of the earth. And no one can cancel that shout over your life. No one can disqualify you for the thing that God ordained you for. It's a divine shout. It resonates through the annals of time. And it cannot be disqualified. It cannot be drowned out. I love the fact that at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the Bible says that there appeared what looked like tongues of fire. And that a tongue of fire rested upon each person's head. There's so many times as Christians, we feel like, I don't have an anointing, so I need to go to somebody that has an anointing, that has some fire, and I kind of like, you know, like when you take two candles, one that's blown out and the other one that's like on fire, that you need to like, you know, get some fire from the one to the other, and we're like, hey, I just need to get some of your anointing on my life, if I could, because you've heard this, right, in Christianity, it's like, if I can get close to you and serve you and carry your Bible, I'll get your anointing. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want that anointing, I want my own anointing, Right? So Reinhard Bonker says that your name is on your flame. Your name is on your flame. God has given you a specific anointing. It comes from Jesus, and it will carry you through everything that God has prepared for you. God has a plan and a purpose for you that's individualized and personal and fits into the greater picture. And what we notice in how Paul reads out these things is that they weren't all doing the same thing. One was a patron and serving, and the other was welcoming people. The one was like a mother to others, just looking after them. And another was a fellow worker. Another one was in prison with Paul, risking it all. Another one had a house in their church or a church in their house, and they, and they, they had all of these things. And there was diversity, but each one fulfilled it and was faithful to what God had called them to do. So when you know the gospel, you'll take risks in answering God's call on your life. When you know the gospel, you will take risks in answering God's call on your life. Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks to have this church in their house. And if you read the New Testament, I love this couple. You see them, not only do they have like cool rhyming names, how cool is it to be a couple with rhyming names, Priscilla and Aquila, but Not only do they have rhyming names, but we see them all over the New Testament. We find out in Acts, and we read about them here in Romans. We we read about them again in Timothy and in Ephesians. We find out that, that they were originally from Pontus, which is northern Turkey. They then went to Rome, and they were driven out by the emperor Claudius in 49 AD. Then they went to Corinth, and in Corinth is where they met Paul, and uh, they were inspired by Paul, and so they went to Ephesus, and they were part of the church there, they had a a, a church in their house there, and and they went from there to Rome, and then later we see them back in Ephesus. They, They were willing to move, they were willing to take risks. This is a couple that says, hey, we're living for Jesus. If he needs us there, we're there. If he needs us there, we're there. If he needs us here, we're here. We'll stay, we'll go, we'll do whatever God calls us to do. We'll be where we need to be. And all of these people mentioned here were risking their lives. Later, many of them, including Paul, were martyred for their faith. But they died richer than most people would ever be because they knew purpose and they knew sacrifice and they knew the love of Christ. So the first thing that we notice is the names. Your name matters, your calling matters. The second thing I notice in this, in this chapter is the love. It's just how much love is present. You can tell that Paul meant these words. These are some of the words that he uses. He says, commend, welcome, greet, thank. He uses words like kinsmen, fellow servants, fellow workers. Several times he refers to people as my beloved so-and-so. He says that they're approved, that they're chosen, that she's a mother to me. There's, there's so much love and community uh, in this. And, and, and he says, greet each other with a holy kiss, which I'm really glad we don't do here at Anchor. But, but if, if you've ever had Portuguese friends, you'll know that they'll grab you. when you're, they'll, no, they'll put that away, grab you. And then they'll kiss you on both cheeks. And sometimes they'll, you know, feel like they didn't do a good enough job on the one cheek. They'll go back to that cheek again. And you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. But I love the spirit of it because this is what Paul's saying. He said, greet each other. not don't just, don't just be divided and cold and distant, but grab and greet each other with a holy kiss. Say hello to each other properly. Embrace one another. There's a spirit of unity and love here. And this is a beautiful picture of a community that's been touched by God's grace. This is how somebody who understands the grace of God talks about his friends. Oh, this guy's so great. And, and this guy's a fellow worker. And this guy's so, he's approved by God. And this guy's chosen. His mom is the best. She's like a mom to me. And this guy is, a, and, this, and this lady and this couple, and this one is a, and that is how we as the church should be talking about each other. Imagine how different the church would look if people chose to speak about each other that way. This is what Paul does. When you know the gospel, not only will you take risks in answering God's call on your life, but you will take risks on people. You will take some risks with people. You'll, you'll, you'll take people under your wing and and, and see them develop. And there are so many testimonies and stories about how lives have changed because one single person felt led by God to believe in that person and go on a journey with them. You know what, I, as a person personally, I really have a dislike for policies. I don't like it when people try and take a broad stroke policy and just slap it on me and say, there you go, now you will be better. What I really value is a journey. And all the way through, I've said to people like, I would like somebody just to journey with me. For me, that's what discipleship really looks like. Not here's a program or here's a structure, but somebody that's willing to walk with me through the good and the bad. That, that's, that's what we should be willing to do. It's amazing what can actually happen if you take a risk on somebody. If you just be- believe in somebody, if you just back someone. My question to you is, when last did you take a risk on someone? Because if you know the gospel, you'll be willing to do that. So not only do we take risks on people, but for people as well. And that's the third thing that I, ma- I notice in this passage is the passion. The passion that, that is there amongst these people. There's a, a passion, and, and this, is, this is a sure sign that somebody is living in the revelation of God's grace is that you will have a passion for the gospel and a passion for life. You know, people that are hurt and that, uh, that are religious can become so bitter and so cynical, but when you know the gospel, it keeps your heart fresh, it keeps it soft, you, you're not cynical, you have a passion for people, you wanna reach more and more and more to see lives changed. And so it says to us that Phoebe had been a patron of many and of Paul himself. It says Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for his life. It says Mary worked hard for you. Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, they were willing to go to prison. Urbanus was a, a fellow worker. Persis worked hard in the Lord. Rufus's mother had been a mother to Paul as well. There's, there's passion here. There's community. There's love. They work hard. That's another thing that we said when we started Anchor Church is that it's gonna be hard work, but we're building the spirit of a pioneer. We're building the spirit of a pioneer. We don't want it to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't value the journey. We wanna be those people that trekked across the mountain or that made the first way or that made the path so that others could follow. We want it to be the tip of the spear for what God wanted to do in the days that lie ahead. And so whenever as a team we're stacking chairs or we're carrying heavy things or we're up late at night or we're dealing with issues, I say we're just building the spirit of a pioneer. We're taking some risks and going forward. When you know the gospel, you won't be afraid of hard work and you'll be willing to take some risks for others in building the kingdom. The fourth and final thing that we notice. So I notice the names, I notice the love, I notice the passion, but I also notice the centrality of Jesus. He says over and over again, he mentioned that. And, and this kind of community, this kind of mission, doesn't exist separate from the presence and love of Jesus. It doesn't exist separate from, it, it finds its home in him. It, we, in him we gather. In him every nation and every tribe and every tongue come together to form this united body. So if we're going to stay united, If we're gonna stay strong as a team, if we're gonna have one heart and one mind and one spirit, we have to have our eyes together fixed on Jesus. Jesus is the context of our community. It's in him that we're together. So he says in, in verse two, he says, welcome her in the Lord. In verse three, he says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. In verse five, he says, the first convert to Christ. In verse seven, they were in Christ before me. In verse eight, my beloved in the Lord, Verse nine, my fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, greet those in the Lord. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Verse 13 says, persons who worked hard in the Lord. Verse 14, Rufus chosen in the Lord. Jesus is the context. Jesus is the one that changes lives. So when you know the gospel, what I wanna say is, you will risk it all on Jesus. You'll risk it all on his faithfulness. You'll risk it all on His goodness. You'll risk it all on on how true He is. And you'll trust Him no matter what He calls you to do, no matter what season you're going through, no matter how much it costs you personally, because none of it can compare to the joy of what we've received in Jesus. So those are are the four things that I notice in this passage. The names, I notice the love, the passion, and the centrality of Jesus. That's the community that's been touched by God's grace. And to finish off here in Romans 16, Paul finally offers a last warning and then a promise and a prayer. A warning, a promise, and a prayer. Let's just read these verses together. In Romans 16, 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. He says, avoid them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ But their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. This is what Paul is saying. After I've expressed the entire gospel to you, after I've taken 16 chapters to tell you exactly who Jesus is and what he has done for you, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to that message. Don't let people come in and create division by telling you, you know, it's not really about God's grace. It's not really about this. It's not actually what you should be doing. And, and by smooth talk and flattery, they drive your heart away or lure your heart away from the centrality of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. He says, don't do that. Don't listen to them. Avoid them. Don't let your heart be tempted to go in going back to saving yourself rather than to trusting in Jesus. So there's the warning stay innocent in the things that are good, stay away from the things that are evil, hold fast to the gospel, hold on to Jesus. Your righteousness will always only be because of Jesus. And so this is actually still a part of the centrality of Jesus part is that let's just keep the focus on Jesus. And then he gives a promise. He says, you hold on to Jesus and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that. Because I know that in this community and in my personal life and in your personal life, I know that the devil has often come against you. But what the scripture says is that if we just hold fast to the good news of God's grace, soon Satan will be crushed under your feet. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that we face as adversity and opposition, soon it will all be crushed beneath our feet. So that's the promise. And then he ends with a prayer. And I wanna finish Romans 16 with these verses from Romans sixteen, twenty-five to 27. And he says this, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the, mo- the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. I love that prayer. To God who is able to strengthen us in his word. Do you know that you can be strengthened in the gospel? You can be strengthened in grace and the preaching of Jesus. As it is disclosed, as we we come to know him, what it'll do is the more we disclose it, the more we share it with ourselves and with others, As we do that, the more people will come to the obedience of faith. See, faith is true obedience. True faith is true obedience. To the only wise God, this this glorious, gracious, loving God, to Him be the glory. It's because of Him, through Jesus, that we can do this. So let's take some risks. Let's take some risks in 2018. Let's take some risks to see people saved. Let's take some risks to, to reach more people, to, to see more lives changed, to see more people baptized than ever before, to see a city shaped, to, to, to see our families prosper and, and our lives grow in terms of our purpose before God. Let's take some risks. Let's not play it safe. Amen? Amen.